Well, what a service it's already been. There's a lot of very generous and kind people in this church. I hope that you get to know them. Many of you are them, and to all of you, I say thank you. It really is an honor and a privilege to, to be your pastor. The search committee got together with uh, Morgan and I on Thursday night just to, to share about you know, how the last six months have gone, and uh, it's just been amazing how the Lord's worked in my life personally, but also in the life of our congregation here as a whole. So thank you to all. Um, I'm going to do some new things today. I'm going to fire up the grill. All right, don't, uh, don't panic. We, 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 we didn't blow a breaker. We tried it earlier, and it all worked. So uh, let me let that get hot. Uh, we're doing some new things around here, right? New things are good. Um, I've, I've enlisted some help uh, in order to keep the conversation going from Sunday. I've asked a few people to, to help me uh, with a sermon listening team. It's like a group of superheroes, right? They're going to text me or email me feedback uh, during the service. So if you see people texting, just assume that they're uh, not texting their friends during the sermon, but they're actually texting me. My phone's off, so um, they're going to let me know what they want to hear clarified, something that's murky maybe in the sermon, or amplified. Maybe they want to know more about something or applied. How can I practically live that out? And I'm going to take all those tomorrow morning and, and kind of make some notes and, and look at them. And then uh, tomorrow at 2 p.m., I'm going to do a Facebook Live from my office and just go through some of them and kind of keep the conversation going. And you can jump in on there and you can chat and let me know your thoughts as I, just five or 10 minutes or so, not a long thing. And if you're, you know, working like most people at 2 p.m. tomorrow and you can't Watch Facebook Live. It'll be on there later uh, tomorrow evening. It'll be archived on our, our page at Woodmont Baptist Church. So exciting new good things. We got a new sermon series that we kicked off last week. Uh, Sarah Moore told me one of her friends posted on, on Facebook, shout out to all those youth ministers who are preaching on Labor Day because the pastor's out of town the uh, day before a holiday. So <laughs> thank you to Trey who did a, a just masterful job of kicking this series off as he walked us through 1 Corinthians 13 and talked about what it, it looks like to be agents of love, of real agape gift love that selflessly gives itself away in order to build up the community and build up others. Very well done, Trey. Uh, I mean that. What a gift uh, it was. Morgan and I got to sit on our couch and, and put on our Apple TV and and turn on the BoxCast app and, and stream the service uh, on there on Monday night. We watched the, the whole thing, so that was great. I encourage you to, to check that out, our streaming options. So we're going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians the rest of the month as we talk about being ambassadors for Christ. It's based on the, the theme verse from 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. I love this metaphor. It's, it's such an apt metaphor for what the body of Christ is supposed to be in the world today. Think about it. A, an ambassador is someone who's sent by one authority from one nation to another nation. And, and they're not just sent there for like a trip. They don't commute between the nations. They are resident representatives. They, they move their families to this foreign nation in order to, to learn the culture, to learn the customs, the language, the food, the economic and political power structures that, that drive that nation. And, and the whole point of them being there 
is to advance the interest of the home nation that sent them. They are there as representatives of another place in order to further the agenda and, and the interest of the sending nation. Does that make sense for us as Christians? We are sent into this world, which is not our home. We are foreigners and exiles here who are, are sent by a higher authority to represent that authority in his interests and his kingdom into a broken and fallen world. But that's my sermon for next week. So I'll save that. I love the metaphor, but we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 5 next week. Today, I want to talk about being agents of fragrance, hence the grill. We're going to learn about how powerful fragrance can be. We're going to look at just four verses, 2 Corinthians 14 through 17, that describe our calling as Christians to be the aroma of Christ in the world. But before we read our text, let me give you some background on, on Corinth and set up the, the situation in Corinth. Will you put up that map there, Mark? Uh, Corinth was a, a, a big cosmopolitan city. It was on the, the isthmus that connects the, the Peloponnesian Peninsula at the bottom of Greece there on the left side to mainland Greece. So people who were going from the mainland to the peninsula had to go through Corinth. It was a major center of trade. Archaeologists have found all these shops and market areas all across Corinth. There were also, it was a Roman colony, a Roman outpost. So there were huge temples to Roman gods and, and goddesses, the, the, the pantheon of, of Roman gods. And Paul had gone to this city as a part of his second missionary journey. And he, he established a church in Corinth built on the gospel of Jesus Christ. He met good friends there, uh, Roman exiles uh, Priscilla and Aquila, who were like Paul, they were also tent makers, and they became good friends, and they partnered with him for a year and a half, 18 months, that they worked together to establish a, a gospel church in Corinth. They went with him to, to Ephesus as well, and became co-laborers in the gospel with him. And then he, he left Corinth, and he went back to Jerusalem and, and to Judea and Syria before he began his third missionary journey, and that's what we have here. He went and visited all the churches in Asia Minor that he had planted, and then he went back up through Macedonia, the mainland of Greece. And, and this is where it gets kind of complicated with his relationship with Corinth. He, he settled in Ephesus in Asia Minor for three years during his third missionary journey, and while he was there... He got some news that his little church plant in Corinth was struggling with some, some major issues, so he wrote them a corrective letter, which we don't have today. It doesn't exist. We don't have a copy of it, but we know he wrote it. A while, a while later, he gets a report that the church in Corinth totally didn't get his first letter. They misunderstood it, and that they were dealing with major problems now, like rampant sexual immorality. There were huge divisions throughout the congregation and just a lot of social climbing social snobbery that was tearing the church apart. So then he receives a letter from the Corinthians while he's in Ephesus showing that they're totally confused on the theological doctrines about marriage, about divorce, about worship, about bodily resurrection. So he writes a long letter, a substantive letter to them addressing all these things. And we know that letter today as 1 Corinthians, which Trey preached from last week. So then Paul goes on to visit Corinth and straighten things out, but by the time he gets there, they're in open rebellion against him and against the gospel of Christ. 
So he leaves. He goes back to, to, to Ephesus and he writes a severe letter, a, a tearful letter, he says, saying, you've got to repent. You guys are in huge error and sin. And we don't have a copy of that letter either, but that was the, the third letter that he'd sent to Corinth. And, and to his joy, most of the Christians in Corinth did repent. They, they turned back to God. They, they repented of their sin and, and, and their, their horrible, evil ways. And so then Paul went to visit them again, and, and it was all good. They received him, and things were going great. But now he has to write the fourth letter to them, 2 Corinthians, in order to, to set up his arrival for his third visit. He wants them to understand how deeply personal the gospel is. That if you follow Christ, it's going to be a tough road. Your life won't magically become easy. So he gives his personal history. It's a very emotional letter due to his very complicated history with the church in Corinth. So a lot of the letter deals with this suffering, his personal journey. How, how the, the way of the cross is a way of suffering. It's a way that, that leads to death. It's, it's humble obedience that is a downward spiral in this life that leads to a glorious resurrection in the next. But Paul always keeps the hope of the gospel out in front all throughout the letter. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. When, I, when our lives are shaped by the cross, the cruciform way of life it's one of suffering. Jesus Christ told us, in this world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. The, the cruciform life is, is hard, but it's, it's, it's full of suffering, but it's not pointless suffering. God never wastes pain. He always works through it in, in ways if we'll just look for it. We know that the, the, the cross, the cruciform life, is one of, of death and suffering, but we know that it leads to life, real life, eternal life, life that Jesus called the abundant life. So let's stand now, if you're able, this morning as we read our text for this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. This is what 2 Corinthians is all about. Verse 14, but thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. You know, fragrance is a very powerful thing, right? Scientists tell us that scent is the, the most powerful sense that's connected with emotion, that memory is tied very closely to scent. 
And, and even our bodies respond to scent. Like if I smell a, a juicy ribeye cooking on the grill, oh yeah. My mouth starts watering. My, my brain becomes distracted. All I can think about is beautiful red meat cooking on the grill. I know some of you are vegetarians and vegans. Sorry, John Kerrigan, is he here? No, he's not here. Good, all right, good, 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 good. He's, uh, he'd be very, this would be hard, I'm sure, but I know his dad's here. Mark, I already apologized to him. I apologize to anyone here who's offended by the... Uh, I got two beautiful 12-ounce ribeyes. They're all organic from Trader Joe's. Got nice marbling in there. Cooking on the grill now. I'm going to turn this fan on so you can... The choir's you know, the only one who's going to get blasted with this. Uh, I'm going to turn this on so it kind of wafts out there. and Maybe you'll get a, a whiff of it as we, as we go on. We'll, we'll, we'll keep walking through this passage, and I'll, I'll get to the meat in a second. We have a deacon's meeting after church today. I'm going to auction off these, uh, these steaks here, see who, uh, who wants steak instead of a boxed lunch for dinner today, for supper. All right, this is a prayer. Look at verse 14. Thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. It's a, a prayer of thanksgiving for what God's doing for us. What's he doing? It says he's leading us in triumphal procession. That sounds great, right? You may feel defeated today. And this says, oh, we're being led in triumphal procession. That sounds great. But to the original hearers of this text, they would understand this in a very different way. Corinth was a Roman colony. And, and when they heard triumphal procession, what that refers to is what's known as a Roman triumph. You know what a Roman triumph is? A, a general or a commander-in-chief of a, a Roman legion who had just accomplished a total victory like conquered a huge swath of land for Rome, killed you know, thousands and thousands of, of people in a foreign land and taken thousands as captives, would be given the honor of a Roman triumph. It would be like a ticker tape parade for us today. The, the Roman triumph is, is like this, this picture here. The, the Roman general or the commander-in-chief would ride in a golden chariot and he would lead the army in. They would gather outside Rome before dawn, and they would march into the city. And it says here that we're not leading the procession. Uh-oh. Do you know who was led in the procession? The slaves. Those conquered people. Those poor souls who were marched into the city to their death, or to maybe fight in the Colosseum or the Circus Maximus, or maybe they were going to be sold at market as slaves now to the people of Rome. You see, what, what, what is happening here, what Paul is saying, is that we are the ones who are led as captives. We are the spoils of, of the battle that God has waged for our souls. Paul says that, that the captured people are, are part of God's, the sovereign emperor's property now. He's the emperor of the world who has sent the victorious general Christ the Lord, to come to a foreign land and take hold of the souls of those who would surrender to him as Lord. Now Christ leads us as one who has ransomed us, as one who has made us his own, but we're not being led to our deaths. Our general is the greatest commander that ever walked the face of the earth, and he captures us not to kill us, not to exploit us as slaves, but because he loves us. He's, he's rescued us 
from a land that was never our home to begin with. He's made us full-fledged citizens of the kingdom of God along with himself as our Lord. Now we are his treasure. We who were in bondage to sin and to death and to suffering have now been captured by the only one who could truly ever set us free. It's a powerful image, isn't it? And somewhere in that procession, there were Roman priests who would sling incense around. They would, they would, they would waft the incense as a, as a sacrifice to the gods in order to spread the, the fragrance of victorious worship throughout the city. You, are you smelling this? My stomach's literally growling right now. I should have eaten a bigger breakfast. should have known. They would waft this fragrance everywhere the procession went. This, this aroma of victory. That's why Paul says, and thanks be to God who leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. We're not only the captured people who are led in this procession, but we're also the priests who are to spread the fragrance of victory everywhere we go. But this fragrance doesn't come from us slinging incense like the, the Roman priests did. This incense that we spread comes from sacrifice. The Bible describes what kind of aroma is pleasing to the Lord. It's the aroma of proper sacrifice. Way back in Leviticus, when the, the priestly instructions were given to the, the priest in chapter 1 on how to do a burnt offering, it says this, it says, and the priest shall offer all of the, the burnt offering and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The Lord delights in the smell of proper sacrifice. You know, the language of, of sacrifice and suffering are found all throughout the Bible. Christ is the ultimate sacrifice, right? He was the perfect spotless lamb whose blood atones for all of our sins. His blood speaks a better word than all the, the empty claims of, of this world. But when we unite our lives with him, then, then we enter into a death like his. We die to ourselves, right? That's what baptism is a picture of. We're buried with Christ in baptism. You have to be buried first before you can be raised into a whole new kind of life. That's why Paul says we offer ourselves up on the altar as a living sacrifice. Romans 12.1 I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice on the altar. Holy and acceptable to God. Offering the aroma up to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is how God spreads his fragrance in the world. Through a captured people who have been crucified and buried with Christ. So it is no longer we who live, but it's Christ who lives through us. It's time to flip them. Are you worried about it? Are you getting burned, Mandy? Are you? Okay. Mandy's like, yeah, flip that thing. I had them in the freezer before, so they're... Maybe a little, oh yeah. Got some nice grill marks on there. Oh man, that one's real fat. That's going to be, whew. Let's let those sit there. 
Can I turn it down? I don't know how to work this thing. Oh, yeah. Is that right? It's on griddle, is that right? I hope so. We'll see. <laughs> All right. The fragrance of Christ. I'm distracted now. I told you, the red meat, man. It just, you know, my mouth's watering. This is how God spreads his fragrance through a, a, a sacrificed people. Look at verse 15. For we are now the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Not everyone likes steak. Like I said, we got vegetarians. I got a lot of friends who, who really just can't stand meat, whether it's a texture thing or a health thing or a, a, a you know, a ethical thing. But this smell to them would be repugnant. It would, it would make them nauseous. Some of them, I really have friends who this smell would make them nauseous. The, the aroma of Christ hits people differently right, to, to those of us who are being saved. And notice, by the way, that it says, are being saved. Salvation is a process. It's not something you just walk the aisle, get dunked, and then it's over. Being saved, it's an ongoing process. We are all being saved, I, I hope, right now. But to others, to, to those of us who are being saved, it, it, it's a beautiful smell. It's a smell that we can't get enough of. It's the smell of life. It's the smell of joy. It's the smell of truth and beauty and freedom and love, real love, like Trey talked about last week. We can't get enough of it. But to those who are walking the slow path of death and walking towards their doom and destruction, following the prince of the power of the air, those who are slaves to the powers and the principalities that Satan has set up, to these people, the aroma of Christ is repugnant. So how do you react to, to the fragrance of Christ today? Can, can you not get enough of it? Do, do you want to just bask in it? Or, or does it repel you? My, my prayer is that we would learn to love the, the, the fragrance of Christ more than anything else. I pray that we would so crave the presence of Christ, the nearness of our Lord, that, that we would want to be near to the heart of Him so constantly that we would end up smelling like Him, right? That's how we spread His fragrance. By soaking in the fragrance of Christ throughout our day. By letting the aroma of Christ settle into our hair and our clothes in a way that we can't shake it. That everyone we meet would smell the sweet aroma of Christ on us. You know, when I was 15 years old, I got my first job, my first real, you know, paying job at the Chick-fil-A. I feel like every Baptist minister worked at Chick-fil-A at some point. Um, but I, I worked at the, the Cool Springs Mall, the one in the mall, not the freestanding one where Russell Dickerson worked, because that, that one's famous now. Yes. Uh, but <laughs> I worked in the mall. And uh, I, I didn't think about it, but I was in the back, I, you know, I was cooking and, and stuff, and I would go see friends afterwards. I'd go to uh, somebody's house to hang out or go to the movies or something, and, and I, I would change clothes sometimes, but even then, I, I'd show up, my friends would be like, you smell like Chick-fil-A. You smell like chicken. You smell like peanut oil and, and french fries, and, and I didn't even notice it because I'd been in, inundated with it all day, right? I'd just been soaking in it all day, and it didn't even occur to me 
that I smell like Chick-fil-A. They weren't complaining. Chick-fil-A smells delicious, right? Yeah, it's not a bad smell. <laughs> they wanted to get close to me in the, in the theater. But the point is that, you know, when you soak in a place, you don't even become conscious of the smell. But when you leave, you smell like that, right? That's true for a good barbecue joint, right? How many of you have been to Dreamland in Alabama, in Tuscaloosa, or in Birmingham? Yeah, Dreamland has open barbecue pits in the restaurant. Charcoal pits with slabs of ribs just dripping onto it. When you leave and, and try to go back to the office or something, everybody knows you've been to Dreamland. You can't hide it. You cannot deny the smell of the place you've been in. So if we are, are basking in the presence of our Lord and Savior, it will affect us. It will get on us in a way that others will notice. That's the goal. And I love the way that Paul wraps this idea up, the end of, of verse 16. Who is sufficient for these things? Who, who, can, who can do this? Who's able to constantly, daily submit their whole bodies as a living sacrifice? Who, who is able to be led in bondage behind the triumphal general, willingly, day by day, su su submit themselves and subject themselves to being in the chains for Christ? Who can willingly endure suffering always in order to die to themselves and, and spread the fragrance of the sacrifice to the world? You know what the answer is he's implying here? No one. No one is what he's saying. Who's sufficient for this? Who can, who can do this? Nobody. Nobody can do it. No person, at least. Kingdom work was never meant to be accomplished by human abilities. The gospel work has to be accomplished on a deeper, supernatural level. It was, it was never intended to, to be anything less than a spiritual endeavor. Only the triune God can spread his heavenly aroma and change hearts and minds of, of human beings. Only the sovereign God can work out his good purposes for this lost and fallen world. Our job is just to be a conduit of that, to be connected to what he's doing through us. It says in verse 15, he spreads his fragrance through us. He spreads his fragrance through us. This is God's work. Let's not forget that. Because we believe this stuff is true, right? We believe that God is real. We're, we're betting our lives on it. We're betting our lives that this is not something that we just made up. We're betting our lives that, that God is real, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to atone for our sins. If, if we're not really believing that, then we are in jeopardy of the greatest kind. We must remember that the gospel of Jesus is actually a deeper reality than anything else in this world. We, we can't function like an atheist who just disregards the supernatural and everything. We have to function differently as people of faith who walk by faith and not by sight. This is why I really don't want to see us focus this year on, on budgets or, or five-year plans or strategic thinking or all these kinds of things. There'll be a time for that, but first we've got to become one with the Spirit of God and ask for Him to fall fresh on us so that we can be a part of what he's already doing in our city, in our church, in our relationships. We have to focus on the work 
of the Spirit if anything's going to succeed around here. We, we must become in tune with God on a spiritual level. It's hard to do this, right, in our, our high-achieving uh, neighborhood. You all are smart, capable, professional people, and it's, you have amazing abilities. It's easy to, to fall back on those and, and to not walk by faith. It's easy to just try to depend on our own abilities, but we have to remind ourselves that the church is not a, merely a provider of religious goods and services, is it? The church is the body and bride of Jesus Christ. We have a much higher calling. We're set apart to be his hands and feet in a world that desperately needs them for such a time as this. And we don't, we don't sell God's word. We're not looking to turn a profit we don't measure our successes on how much money we make. Look at verse 17 again. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. Paul had all these opponents that were coming into Corinth and they were, they were charging people for their ministry there in town. They'll say, yeah, we'll help your church for a fee. We've got to be careful to not do that. We have to take intentional steps to remind ourselves that in the midst of a consumer-driven society, a culture that says you can buy happiness. We have to remember that we are not a provider of religious goods and services. We are the body and the bride of Jesus Christ. And so then he says, as men of sincerity, he and his fellow missionaries, as commissioned by God, all of you are commissioned by God. In the sight of God, we speak in Christ. That's the difference. If, if we are really sincere about offering ourselves on the altar as a living sacrifice, if we're sincere about our baptism, that we have died with Christ and been raised into a whole new kind of life, then it changes everything because we are now in Christ. We are no longer in the flesh or in the world or in the culture. We're something different now. We are a new creation, he says in, the next, in chapter 5. If we are found in Him and known as His, as Christ, our, our victorious general, then we're not going to be satisfied with the, the fleeting worldly ideas of success like peddling God's Word for a, a tiny profit for such a time as this. We're, we'll, we're going to be content to suffer. We're going to be okay with it because we know that the gospel is real and that our suffering is not in vain but that it serves to advance the kingdom. We believe that the, the life that's found in Christ is better than anything else this world has to offer. So as we offer ourselves on the altar, let's remember that we will suffer. But we're also going to find comfort. We're going to find a comfort in our spiritual reality that is deeper and more meaningful and more lasting and more effective than anything this world can do. That's why Paul says in, in the previous chapter, chapter 1, verse 5, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, he says that is a good thing. Abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share, we share abundantly in comfort too. Maybe you're here today and you need comfort. I would encourage you to look at how you view suffering. If you feel the need for great comfort today, first understand the abundant sufferings of Jesus Christ that we are called to share in in order that we may receive comfort as well. You can't have one without the other. So may we be joyfully led by Christ, knowing that the victory is His. He's the conquering general. 
May we offer ourselves up daily as living sacrifices, giving ourselves away, dying to ourselves and our own agendas in order to live for Christ and His agenda. May we draw near to Him daily, just basking in His presence as we let His aroma wash over us so that it infects our pores. May we then spread His fragrance everywhere we go. Just as the smell of this steak is filling this room now, may we so also be the aroma of Christ to a lost world that desperately needs this good aroma of Christ. It's not up to us how they react to it. It is up to us to let God spread His fragrance through us everywhere we go as we permeate our world with the truth and the goodness and the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have shown us the abundant life that only comes from surrender. God, your word says that no plant can bear fruit unless it dies first as a seed in the ground. Help us to die daily to ourselves. Help us not to worry or fear for our own agendas, knowing that when we die to ourselves, that you are the sovereign Lord who will not let us go. That your love is so much deeper and so much greater and so much higher than anything this world has to offer and that we can trust that you are a good God. And we, when we surrender ourselves to you, when we offer ourselves up to you, you do not waste our pain. You do not waste our suffering. But you redeem it by using it in our own lives and the lives of this world. We pray that you would help us to surrender to you today anew. May your spirit fall fresh on us as we follow you in obedience. May we boldly and fearlessly follow wherever you lead us, both individually in our lives, in our, in our families' lives, and in the life of this church of Woodmont Baptist. May we follow wherever you go. We pray this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to enter into a time of invitation now. We're going to sing, follow the, the footsteps of Jesus. If, if you have never followed Christ as your Lord, if you've, if you've been clinging to your own life and you re refuse to surrender to him as a conquering general, there's no better time than right now to, to come forward and make that decision. I'll, I'll be here to talk with you about it. If, if you've been doing this thing as an individual effort and not as part of a team, I invite you this morning to, to come and make Woodmont Baptist your church home, to join with what God's doing here by becoming a member of Woodmont Baptist Church. And, and for all of us, the invitation is to remember how good it is to be led in chains, to be captured by Jesus Christ for the sake of his kingdom and to spread his aroma in the world. Whatever it is that you hang out with is what you smell like, right? If you're around chicken all day, you're gonna smell like chicken. If you're around sin, if you're around shame, if you're around sorrow, people will smell it on you. But if you're around Jesus Christ, if you have surrendered yourself to him and have basked in his presence, you can't get that off you either. Whatever it is that you need to decide this morning, I pray that you will not leave this place until you have dealt with the Lord. Let's stand and sing our hymn of invitation, Footsteps of Jesus. <laughs>